Today's reading comes from 1 Peter, chapter 2, commencing at the fourth verse. Come to him, the living stone, they rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness in whose marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. <clears throat> Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that though they may malign you as evildoers, they may see your honourable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. Hear the word of the Lord. Thank you, David, for reading. It's always wonderful to hear God's word read amongst his people. And thank you so much for having me. Well, maybe you didn't have a choice, but thank you for, um, <laughs> for smiling at me. Hopefully, come and say hi afterwards. I'd love to meet you. Um, I love meeting brothers and sisters and hearing stories of God at work. Um, I've come from Reservoir. I'd like to say Reservoir, but locals call it Reservoir, so I've had to learn to adapt. Um, so great to be with you this morning. Let's just pray together. Almighty loving God, thank you that we can come to you just as we are that whatever week we've had, whatever is going on for us, we can come just as we are and you welcome us. I thank you that your word is living and that your spirit can speak to us just as we have need. Would you do that this morning? Would you encourage us or correct us? Would you rebuke us or would you comfort us? Give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you ever feel like the church is irrelevant. Like our culture doesn't really take the Christian faith very seriously anymore. Well, less and less so anyway. And I wonder if you wonder if you ever really make a difference for God. Many years ago, I worked in administration at Maya, 
in Doncaster. Do you remember when all those renovations were happening there? That's when I was there. I think we were the only store open for a while. Um, and I still catch up regularly with three of the women who I worked with. Something I find a bit frustrating is that after all these years, our conversations still only go what to me feels really shallow space. Basically what we've been doing during the week and uh, how our family's going. You'd think that during a pandemic we might get to deeper issues, but no, no. Um, they really don't prefer to speak about their beliefs or, or, or their feelings very much either. Have you ever struggled to know how to share your faith with your friends or your family? And that thought, well, maybe people actually don't really want to know about Jesus anyway. I met a student from France who was surprised to, to meet a Christian. She said, hang on, people still believe in God? At the same time, though, I think people are looking for something. My physio is one of those people. Uh, while I was contorting myself on the Pilates machine, I heard him having a conversation with two other patients and uh, they were marvelling over healing crystals and over a meditation guru that one of them goes to see and a wand, that, a wand that one of them owned. Another one of them was talking about her time with a chiropractor who instead of doing any spinal manipulation, he talked about her past lives. Well, I was in too much pain with my own exercises to say anything, but what I thought was, and I'd be considered the weirdo. But perhaps I missed an opportunity to say something. Well, I love that the Bible is full of people like me, full of people who struggle, full of people who have plenty of faults, plenty of failures, but are used by God to make a difference. Take the Apostle Peter, who's, who wrote the letter that we heard. Late in life, he wrote these letters and they demonstrate such a mature faith and such a trust in the Lord's sovereignty. But this is also the same Peter who had been impulsive and hot-headed at times, who didn't understand Jesus' parables, the Peter who said he'd never fall away, he'd never deny Jesus and yet fell asleep when Jesus asked him to stay awake and later denied knowing him. This is the same Peter who struggled to understand the dream that God gave him that the gospel was for all people, for Gentiles as well as for Jews. But this is the Peter used by the Lord and who grows through his experiences. Missionaries and um, church leaders are often asked... How many people have you seen become Christians this year? The world teaches us to judge success in ways that we can measure, doesn't it? So what do we do when, in the world's eyes, those measurements look more like failure? As a church, it's wonderful that you partner with Zoe. She's learning from and serving alongside local leaders in a small, remote community in Arnhem Land. I doubt the world would think that Zoe's building a successful career or stock portfolio. 
And I imagine there are times that she herself may feel like maybe she's not making much of a difference. I thought I'd share with you some stories from our time serving with CMS in Europe. They're stories that are unfinished. Stories where we felt like we didn't make much of a difference, but where the Lord in his kindness showed us that he was at work. Uh, When you heard that we served in Switzerland, did any of you go, what? Uh, Switzerland is a country, as is a lot of Europe, where just because the Reformation happened in history, it doesn't mean it's a lived-out reality now. Um, And uh, there are churches there that were once thriving and full, but as we're experiencing here, there are less of them now. And many of them are museums. Perhaps you've visited them. And Andrew and I were invited to go and to help the student movement in French-speaking Switzerland establish a ministry amongst the thousands and thousands of international students who study there. They study in English, so we were working in English. Phew. But we were endeavouring to learn French as well. And so the first story is when we did absolutely nothing. God used our complete brokenness. Uh, We went to a little French-speaking church at the end of our road. And our Swiss pastor, Christian, he's a little older than us, but he has uh, adult children the same age as ours. We have two sons who are in their mid-30s now. Christian only ever saw us at our weakest. He saw us struggling with language. He saw me starting a conversation halfway through the the sentence. I say, I can't finish this sentence. (laughs) Uh, He saw us struggling with homesickness. He saw us struggling with grief when my father died, when my mother had a stroke, when our kids were struggling with things back here in Melbourne. And he couldn't imagine doing what we had done, leaving our home and family to come to another country at our life stage. So what it did, our brokenness, what it did was it reminded Christian of the treasure that we have in the message of Jesus. And of the value of Christian's ministry as he pastored this small church in a migrant area of Lausanne. The Lord used our complete weaknesses to reignite Christian's passion for ministry. Let me tell you two more stories, two brief stories. And we'll get into into, um, uh, 1 Peter a little bit. Stan was a student from Belgium who was studying uh, in Lausanne and he really enjoyed our weekly English-speaking social nights. Um, he had, Stan had absolutely no interest in God. But like most international students, he did have an interest in free food <laughs> and in an opportunity to make friends with people and to even meet Swiss people. Um, and he also really liked, quite liked having an adopted Aussie aunt and uncle whose place he could go to. Andrew used to meet with Stan over a beer to chat about his studies, uh, about life, meaning and purpose. And Stan realised that he had values like justice and mercy and kindness, but that he'd rejected his grandmother's Christian faith. So he was unsettled, wondering what he was basing those values on now. 
When he finished his studies, Dan left Switzerland to work in South America. Um, actually, he went to work. He, he, his parents wanted him to go back to Belgium, uh, but he went to work in South America building homes for people working with an NGO. Uh, so you could see this unsettledness, trying to find a purpose in life. He then went and worked in Portugal. And before he left, he told us that he didn't ever realise, he didn't know that he could feel so loved outside his own family. We didn't see Stan for three years, but the weekend before we were due to come back to Australia permanently, Stan flew from Portugal to Lausanne to see us so that he could say goodbye. Well, as far as we know, Stan hasn't become a Christian. Were we making a difference for the Lord? And then there was Isla. Isla is a student from Turkey. Uh, she would describe herself as having a secular Muslim background. And after a few meals in our home, she joined a Christianity Explored course, a bit like an Alpha course. And she said, um, you hear bad things about every religion, but you don't hear anything bad about Jesus. So I thought I should check him out. And then she said, um, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in anything supernatural. At which point we opened Mark's Gospel. If you haven't read it lately, go home and read chapter 1 and count how many supernatural things there are in that first chapter. Well, throughout the next few weeks, Isla intellectually understood what she was reading about Jesus and the claims that he was making. But at the end of the course, she still said, I'm a scientist, I can't believe in anything supernatural. We then invited the students to choose a card from a whole lot of photo cards that best described where they were at in thinking about God. And Isla chose a card of wooden window shutters, shut and locked with a padlock and a chain. She said, I'm a scientist. I can't believe in anything supernatural. But I wonder what might be on the other side of that. As far as we know, Isla hasn't yet become a Christian. Were we making a difference for the Lord? I could tell you dozens more unfinished stories like Stan and Isla, and I'm sure you could tell me a whole lot as well. People who couldn't see their need for Jesus, but who we could connect with through their felt needs, for friendship, for laughter over a board game, for chats over a home-cooked meal. And there were times we were wondering if we were making a difference for the Lord. At times, it felt like we were plowing concrete. But he was kind enough to show us where he was at work, moving within people in small ways. Well, as Kirsty said, I'm on the team at St Andrews Hall. It's wonderful to have people coming from around Australia and living in for five months for some in-depth training. Uh, CMS, we're really focused on raising up long-term workers and it's been shown by lots of studies that the, the longer training, the more in-depth training you have, the more likely you're going to be doing well in location over a long period of time. Uh, in 2020, beginning of 2020, there was a major building program uh, at St Andrews Hall in Parkville. 
Anything else happened in 2020? So we are really, so we moved out. We moved to Hawthorne, actually, for the year. We relocated everything for a year, rented some units for the trainees who were coming, and then, of course, everything shut down, and we were all on Zoom. We all learned how to use that. We'd never heard of it before. Um, and so we're really thankful that with that major building, and it is major, if ever you want to come and see it, I'd love to show you around, um, that God provided the funds, he kept the project on track, and we were able to move back in at the beginning of last year. Well, did you know that you're also part of a building project? The passage we heard this morning from Peter's first letter talks about God's building project, his church. Peter's writing to believers who are scattered, living as exiles, as foreigners, people who may well have struggled with homesickness and different culture. And as Christians, their way of life made them outsiders. Perhaps you feel a bit like that. They didn't have anything impressive. They didn't even have a temple where they were. Instead, they worshipped a man who was dead. Well, that's not very impressive. Of course, we know he wasn't. But to others, they might have thought he was. Some of you, um, some of you might know people, or you might yourself have left your home country because you follow Jesus. And so you can relate. Well, I want you to imagine that you're a first century follower of Jesus in a small town in what's now modern Turkey. When you became a believer, you probably gave up your Roman gods and for whatever reason, you're facing hostility and harassment from your neighbours. But you also know that many believers in your small church are beaten and they suffer much worse than you do. I wonder how you might feel. You're in the minority you're rejected, you may feel like you've lost a sense of identity, a sense of purpose, perhaps you're discouraged and frightened. Well, Paul's writing his letter to these people and he's writing and he's saying, don't you realise who you are? Your identity is an incredibly honoured identity. You are God's chosen people and God has a purpose for you and you are going to make a difference so who are they 1 Peter 2 4 to 5 feel free to open your Bibles if you'd like to verses 4 and 5 as you come to him to Jesus the living stone rejected by man but chosen by God and precious to him you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter's assuring them you do have a new identity. You are chosen by God and you are precious to him. And what's their purpose? Verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. The danger is we hear these words and they're familiar to us and we don't hear how absolutely amazing they are. You are God's special people and your lives are to, dec- your lives are de- to declare his praises. The passage goes on to say that as you do that, as you live that out, people will be drawn to God. Peter's saying that as followers of Jesus, we are God's proclaiming people and he will use us to make a difference. This is a message that's needed not just for the believer back in the days of Roman rule, but for the Japanese believer rejected by her family because she won't worship at her family's Buddhist altar. It's a message needed by the few believers in Afghanistan where conversion to Christianity means a betrayal of family, tribe and country. It's a message needed by the Iranian believers who've left their family and home to refuge in Melbourne because their lives were under threat. You are God's proclaiming people and he can use you to make a difference. It's a message for Zoe, far from her family at her hometown of Geelong, learning a new language and a culture incredibly different from her own. And I think it's a message needed for us, for all followers of Jesus right here in Melbourne, in a country where we have so much that it's really easy to forget our complete dependence upon God, that every single breath we take is a gift from him. It's a message needed because our culture trains us to make decisions based solely on what I think will make me happy. Where as a church and as Christians we can feel irrelevant and without a voice, confused by how quickly society is changing. We need this message, a reminder of who we are and what our purpose is. Who are we? We're God's proclaiming people and he will use us to make a difference. Our God is a missional God and he chooses to use his people to take the message of who Jesus is. When I first met my husband, Andrew, he was introduced to me as Rock. Rock, meet Claire. Rock, that's a, that's a dumb name. Why is he called Rock? Well, he's called Rock, good old Aussie humour. What's our last name? Our last name's Livingston. Livingstone, dead rock, rock. If rocks aren't actually dead, then they're certainly not alive, are they? Stones just sort of, they're completely inanimate. They just lie wherever you place them. But Andrew wasn't a dead rock. Along with all of us who've come to Jesus, he is a, say it louder, Kirsty. he's a living stone. Come on, you've got to laugh now, see? We've got a name, you know, sorry, bit of a dad joke. Um, He was a living stone and so are we. Some kind of miracle, though, has to happen for a stone to become alive. 
And that's exactly what Peter's talking about here. Verses 4 and 5 again. As you come to him, to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. As we come to Jesus, we're being built into a new temple. We were once dead rocks, but now we're all living stones. We may be seen as irrelevant by some people. We may be mocked or pushed aside, but we're living stones. We're being built together as God's dwelling place. He's telling them that rather than being irrelevant people who don't even have a temple, they're far more honoured than that. United with Christ, he's saying, you are the temple. You are God's presence. Peter's not only giving these believers hope, he's giving them a history, telling them who they are, right back to Abraham. God promised that he called his people to be a light for him to the nations around them, to be signposts pointing people to him. And I think the corporate dimension is really, really important for us to notice. We need to hear this as a corrective to individualistic culture. Church doesn't revolve around you or me or Kirsty or Randall. Church revolves around Jesus. We belong to one another and we have a really important group identity as people who reflect the Lord. Living stones where God dwells. Not static temple made of dead stones, but a dynamic spiritual house where God lives. Wherever we go, that's where he is. As God's people gathered like this morning or as people as God's people scattered as we go back into our communities, we're called to live a signpost to Jesus, to live out that identity as God's precious and proclaiming people, whether we're in Europe or in Arnhem Land or having coffee at Acorn Nursery, wherever we are, we're God's people. As we carry out our daily lives, our work, our conversations with neighbours, as we message our friends, as we care for our families, as we're cared for by our families, each of us is called to live as a signpost for God. Those unfinished stories of people we got to know in Europe, those times we wondered whether we'd made any difference at all, the times you wondered whether you were making any difference at all, God does use us, imperfect as we are, to point people to Jesus. We may never see the fruit, but we can trust that he's at work. I love what someone once said, that for every person who's become a believer, God might have used 30 people in their life. What's really sad is that 29 people might think they failed. What's even sadder is that one person might think they succeeded, whereas it was God at work all the way along. And we might always be in the first 5, 10, 29. But we can trust that God is at work through his people. So who are the people who God has placed around you to love him with his love? A Chinese student who became a believer said to me, 
I couldn't have believed in the love of Jesus that I read in the Bible without first experiencing his love through the Christians who I met. Who are the people for whom you can pray? Who you can pray that God gives you his love for? My Maya friends, the conversations might seem shallow to me. But I know that for the past 18 years they've been watching what I do. They've been listening to what I say. And they know that I love them. And my prayer is that they might come to know Jesus' love. I think we need encouragement from one another about how to share Jesus often, don't we? And I think it's absolutely fantastic that you're doing that through the Ripple Effect course on Mondays. Um, Who's going to that? A few of you, fantastic. Um, Tell me afterwards, I'd love to hear how it's going, what you're thinking. I know you're just a couple of weeks in. If you haven't uh, joined yet, I'd strongly encourage you to check it out. So chat with Randall or Kirsty about that. What an encouragement it is to know that the Lord uses us just as we are with our weaknesses and our struggles. We simply need to remember who we are. We are God's precious proclaiming people and he will use us to make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the incredible privilege of being called your people. Make us your instruments to do your work and to speak out for you, to tell others of Jesus through what we say and how we live. By your spirit, help us to live lives that bring honour to you and cultivate curiosity amongst those around us so that others might know your love and call you Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.